This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for May 29th, 2020. Apple releases a slew of updates, but a jailbreak vulnerability is found in iOS 13.5. Contact tracing is added to your phone. The FBI is upset with Apple, but not for the reason you might think. And tips on shooting video with your iPhone while saving memory. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Hey, Josh, I bet you know how to pronounce the name of that alternative operating system that's spelled L-I-N-U-X. Oh, yeah, Linux. Linux, of course. I remember when I first saw that many years ago, I was thinking, oh, it must be Linus, like, you know, in the Charlie Brown in the Peanuts cartoons. But it's Linux. There are a lot of computing terms that may be difficult for people to pronounce if they don't know how to pronounce them. Um, an interesting article in Ars Technica recently about this. And so, for instance, iOS, there are actually people who call it iOS. I never heard this. Yeah, I I can't say that I can recall anyone ever pronouncing it that way. But I have heard uh, MacOS. I've heard OS X a lot. At, actually, even on tech podcasts, I, I hear sometimes people say OS X. Um, yeah, I hear that very yeah, often. Those are not the correct pronunciation. If you li- listen to any Apple keynotes, uh, you'll notice that Apple, well, of course, now they just say Mac OS. But when they were saying OS yeah. 10, they very clearly always said OS 10 when they were on stage. Well, so it's the same with the iPhone X or the iPhone 10. I remember that in the first presentation, there was one time when Tim Cook called it iPhone X where he slipped up. Uh-huh. And, of course, a lot of us were wondering what the correct pronunciation was at the time, especially because there was then the iPhone XS and the iPhone XS Max. But it's clearly uh, Mac OS X and iPhone X, even though a lot of people don't get that. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're using a Roman numeral, that is sort of a, a strange way to talk about a product when, you know, we're in the X generation, right? Or, you know, a lot of people grew up watching the X-Files or whatever. So there's X's all over the place, Generation Fair X, point. you know, and all this kind of stuff. So uh, X was kind of a big thing, at least throughout the 90s. And now... Yeah, fair yeah. point. Uh, another term that that I didn't know for a long time was that SQL is pronounced SQL, but this article explains that MySQL is pronounced MySQL. Right, because it's a brand name, and that's how they decided they wanted it to be pronounced. <laughs> but yes, yeah, SQL yeah. structured query language uh, is even though it's spelled SQL, you say SQL. And so they mentioned a couple of terms from Chinese. The the word that's spelled QI that's used for these wireless charging systems. Um, I don't like the word wireless because there's still a wire. Induction charging systems. Yeah. I've studied Chinese, so I knew that was pronounced qi, but mm-hmm. I've heard people call it kai or kui or, you know, it, since the the idea of a Q without the letter U after it doesn't exist in English, it, it, it's just not normal. Right. Yeah, it is very confusing. So I that's one that I understand people mispronouncing that, but qi is the correct way to say it. 
Yeah, and they also mentioned Huawei,、mm-hmm. the Chinese smartphone manufacturer. And I don't know if you know about the whole Huawei issue here about whether or not the company is going to be allowed to build、um, part of the five G network in the UK. And I've heard this pronounced fifty different ways on the news.、Um, but again, I've studied Chinese, and I know that it's pronounced Huawei,、mm-hmm. which might be a little bit difficult if you haven't studied Chinese and don't have the pronunciation. Um, Ars Technica says Huawei is close enough for Western markets, according to the company.、Mm-hmm. I think it's not too hard. Can you say Huawei? Huawei. You just add a little. Not you, quite. You, you add a little bit of a like a little. Huh. Huh. Well, you know,、huh. at the beginning. Huawei.、There. Huawei. Okay. Well, that was some light entertainment, and this week we had some more serious stuff. Updates. Updates. Everything was updated. It's like. It's like I feel like、uh, this is a, a reference. It's going to age me, but Crazy Eddie, the TV and stereo chain in New York City, would have these TV commercials with you know this guy Crazy Eddie who would just be crazy and be going crazy, new stuff and low prices. And so we get macOS, we get iOS or iOS and macOS.、Um, we get <laughs> don't, no, Voss, no 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 don't say Voss that for TVOS. <laughs> Watch us! <laughs> oh, no. We we got them all again, and at the same time, there's a new jailbreak vulnerability. Yeah, well, and the more modern reference would be Oprah saying, "You get an update, and you get an update." Yes, there you go. Okay, <laughs> but、uh, yes, and, and the biggest one of these, I would say, is that iOS 13.5 now has that thing we keep talking about: contact tracing, aka exposure notification. API application programming interface, which is a thing that's now built into iOS to make it possible for government entities to、uh, more easily make their own app that correctly integrates with the operating system that can run in the background when it needs to, and things like that. So that is available for everyone now.、Uh, everyone that has a device that's capable of running iOS 13 can be upgraded to 13.5. And if you're looking for the setting for that, you go into Settings, Privacy, Health, and then you'll see at the top COVID-19 exposure logging, and it says, "Well, off because there's no app available here."、Um, and when you tap it, it says, "Not available in your region." For me, and you'll probably see the same thing. Uh, apparently, there can only be one app per region. Now, I'm not sure how it's going to work in the U.S. Where is it going to be a federal program, or is it going to be different states? Would it depend on which state you're in as to whether you get an app? I don't know. I think so. I'm pretty sure that it's going to be on a state level,、um, and I know there actually have been some states that have implemented their own app. Even before this、uh, API has been available,、uh, you know, widely available to people other than developers, that is.、Um, and so, for example, I know the state of Utah is one that has their own app、um, and decided to just do their own thing and not wait for Apple and Google to come out with their version. Well, the UK has developed an app which doesn't use the Google Apple API, but I think they may be changing、uh, because apparently their app doesn't work very well. <laughs> yeah, well, in fact, I mean that's kind of、uh, an argument that I'm seeing from a lot of you know tech people, security and privacy people. They're kind of saying, you know. Um, this probably isn't going to work very well anyway because there's probably not going to be enough people who turn this on. I mean, there was、um, a report recently saying that a lot of people actually clear their browser history more than you might expect, and、uh, so if people are actually taking the time to manually clear their browser history. Um, they're probably also conscious enough to to be a little concerned about 
their privacy when it comes to this thing that's tracking their location all the time. And a lot of people yeah. probably won't uh, enable this. And again, like we've said a couple of times, if, if it's not a certain level of the population in your area that's using this technology, then it's almost, you know, not even worth using that. Now, having said that, I do think it is important that people turn this on. If you don't have any really extreme reason to be worried about this, I do think it is a good idea to turn it on. Um, because at least you're making it possible for other people to maybe get some benefit out of it. Even if you don't particularly care, uh, it's still, it's still a good idea, I think, to turn this on as long as there's still a pandemic. Now, of course, if there's not uh, a problem in your area anymore, once, once we get to that point where we're, where there are some areas where they really don't have any kind of a problem anymore with a pandemic, okay, yeah, turn it off. I mean, there's no reason to have it on and just, get, you know, potentially give government entities access to your location for other reasons. But um, while there is still a pandemic, I think it's worth keeping it on. And don't forget, you can only turn it on when you have an app installed. So if you don't want to be giving this information to anyone, you can just uninstall the app, assuming you have installed it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, And and again, this is not something where it's built into the operating system that it's just constantly tracking you all the time. You really actually have to install an application that uses this API uh, in order to be tracked. So it's not something you really need to worry about. If you're worrying and wondering whether you should upgrade to iOS 13.5, yes, definitely do it because there are a lot of security updates available. I think uh, by one count, there were 45 different security updates that are part of iOS 13.5. So you do want to make sure that you're installing the latest operating system um, because that's the only way you're going to get patches for all these major security issues. Apparently, there was a security update for iOS 12 too, right? Yeah, this is something that, um, well, I I would say it's relatively new because uh, Apple hasn't done this prior to iOS 12. As the N-1, sometimes people say, the previous version of the operating system on iOS, historically, Apple has only released updates for the current version of iOS and not for any previous versions. Whereas for macOS, for many years, they've been releasing security updates for the current and two previous iOS, just as of iOS 13, uh, Apple has been releasing updates for the latest version uh, of latest available version of iOS 12, which in this case is now up to iOS 12.4.7. So if you have a compatible device that cannot run iOS 13, and this goes back to the iPhone 5S and includes uh, the iPhone 6, which is which was a very popular model, the 6 Plus. Uh, as well as uh, a few iPad models and the iPod Touch 6th generation, uh, which is really not that old if you if you bought it just before the 7th gen came out. All of those devices are limited to iOS 12, and you can get some security updates for those devices. In particular, there was a, a pretty major um, issue with mail, uh, with Apple Mail on iOS, and that has been patched also for iOS 12 in addition to iOS 13. And as I mentioned earlier, there's also a new jailbreak vulnerability, uh, which allows people to jailbreak iOS 13.5 relatively quickly after it was released. Yeah, and usually what this means is that somebody, uh, an exploit uh, 
I don't know if exploit developer is really the right word because th- these are people who are discovering that there's a vulnerability. But yeah, exploit developer, I guess, is right because the exploit is the implementation of or the way to use and leverage that vulnerability. So somebody who has discovered a vulnerability in iOS can write an exploit and wait until Apple releases the next version of the operating system. And as long as Apple hasn't happened to patch something related to that, that's going to make your, your exploit not work anymore, you can still probably use that exploit on the next version of iOS when it comes out. And so that's what they did here. They waited until Apple released iOS 13.5, and then they said, oh yeah, hey, jailbreak community, those of you who want to uh, you know, be able to modify your OS, your operating system, in ways that Apple doesn't want you to, We've been waiting to release this, and so now guess what? You can use our latest exploit to jailbreak iOS 13.5 already. Well, speaking of exploits, interesting article here on TechCrunch, and I like the headline, the FBI is mad because it keeps getting into locked iPhones without Apple's help. (laughs) And just think about that for a minute, that they're mad because they're able to crack iPhones. And the reason they're mad is because They'd really like Apple to put in a back door, and Apple says, nope. And they keep finding ways to get into iPhones in other ways. And these use vulnerabilities, and these use these things. What was it? Gray Key, mm-hmm. and what was the other one? Yeah, Celebrite and Grayshift are, are these two uh, companies that are most well-known for being able to break into iPhones. So the FBI is not happy that they're able to break into the phones because it doesn't give them an excuse to ask for a back door. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit ironic, isn't it? But at the same time, Apple can look like the good guy because they're protecting, you know, users, your everyday user uh, from invasive searches and, you know, searches without a court war- court order and things like this, but also look like the villain because they're not helping, quote unquote, not helping the FBI or other law enforcement agencies. Um, but the thing is, Okay, so Apple is complying in every way that they're legally required to. Um, as we talked about recently, they're even in cases where they have access to someone's iCloud backups, they're making those available. If they if they have uh, a legal uh, court order or or some other you know um, legal demand to turn over that information, then Apple can and does comply with those requests. What they're not required to do legally, at least in most countries, and hopefully it will stay this way, (laughs) is uh, they're not required to develop new software or new methods to make their own software more vulnerable, which is basically developing a backdoor. It seems kind of silly, right, for someone to demand that Apple has some way to break into their own devices and to make their own devices less secure. But that's kind of what this whole idea of a backdoor essentially means is they, they want Apple to make some system so that they can easily break into any iPhone on demand. Um, but obviously if the bad guys get a hold of that or figure out how Apple's doing it, then that makes all iPhones vulnerable if there were some sort of backdoor like this. <sighs> so, you know, you can't have it both ways and the FBI should be happy, I'd say, because they, there still is the ability to break into phones using something like Celebrite, um, or, or the, the gray key device, um, or, um, uh, you know, there's, there's still other methods too. Remember with the iPhone 10 and earlier? The iPhone X, yeah. Um, you've got a hardware vulnerability. Yeah. 
<laughs> the, yeah, the iPhone X. Thank you, Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but w- with the older model iPhones, there's a hardware vulnerability that's going to mean they're perpetually uh, exploitable. And, right. They can't uh, be fixed and, with an update. Right. And so, you know, there's depending on, you know, if, if you've got a crook who hasn't upgraded to an iPhone 10s or later, uh, then you have yet another way to get into those devices. So um, there's a lot of ways that they can get into devices if they really need to. They don't need to be mad at Apple. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how you can free up space on your iPhone or your iPad. And we'll talk about how to shoot video with an iPhone. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST20 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST20 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, before we get into our iPhone and iPad discussion, we have a question from a reader. Sue wrote in asking about something called a YubiKey, which is a kind of a device that you can use as a different way of doing two-factor authentication. We've talked about two-factor authentication probably on every other episode of this podcast (laughs) since it's been here. And there are many ways to do this. You can get a code by SMS, not secure. You can use a specific app to generate a code. There are a number of ways. But there are also these hardware dongles, which just stick into a USB slot. Josh, what do you think about these? Well, the YubiKey, which is made by a company called Yubico, uh, is probably the most famous version of this type of device. But there are a lot of companies that make uh, a, a similar product to this. Um, but essentially, uh, this is a, a device that you can, in some cases, plug into USB port, as you say. Sometimes Google has a, a version that actually works over Bluetooth. There's uh, NFC, near field communication, uh, which you know a lot of phones have implemented. Uh, and you can even have a YubiKey that plugs into the lightning connector on your iPhone. But basically, the way all of these work is that this is the something you have option in two-factor authentication. Um, when we're talking about multi-factor authentication, there's uh, something you know, which is usually that's the password you know that everyone is familiar with, and or could be passphrase or could be some other thing that you know, and hopefully other people can't find out about you. There's there's also the something you have, which is, for example, the, the YubiKey. 
And there's something you are, which is biometric security, like face ID and touch ID. And so the YubiKey gives you a something you have type option for two-factor authentication. It's something that you can put on your physical keychain and carry around with you at all times. And it makes it easy to get into an account that is set up to know your YubiKey. Uh, For example, if you have a Google account, Google is one system that has a lot of different multi-factor options, and a YubiKey is one of those options. So if you have one on your keychain, you want to uh, log in, it'll prompt you for your password and also for your second factor, and then you would plug in your YubiKey device, for example. And Sue, who wrote in, uh, was asking about a secure email service that she's using that recommended this. And so it's similar that if you want extra security for your secure email, um, having a device like this is much better than getting a six-digit code or even generating your own code. Right, right. Yeah, Sue said she was trying out um, Tutanota, which we've mentioned before. It has a silly name. I don't know why it's called Tutanota, but that's the name. <laughs> and uh, and they do recommend um, using a two-factor authentication device like a YubiKey. Tutanota and ProtonMail are... Uh, email providers that claim to be much more secure because they actually encrypt your your emails in a much better way than just uh, you know the generic email systems that are out there. Just to give you a language lesson, Tutanota is Latin for secure message. That's why it's a silly yeah. name. Well, but toot. I mean, it's got toot at the beginning. How, well, I mean, that's okay. why <laughs> that's why it's silly in English. Okay. Tutanota. Okay. All, All right. right. So. We've got an article on the Mac Security blog called Free Up Space on Your iPhone or iPad by Offloading Apps. Now, this is something that Apple introduced in iOS 11, that if you don't want to delete an app that you're not using anymore, you can offload it, which basically removes the app part of the app, but it retains any documents or settings. And in this article, Craig Grinnell, who writes um, for the Mac Security blog, specifically talks about games. And if you look at some of the screenshots on his iPad, he's got one game that's 17 gigs, another one that's 16. Then he's got a comic book reader that's 9 gigs. Now, I don't have any apps that big personally, um, but if you do play games and you need to make space and you want to get rid of the games, you want to save your progress and your levels and everything you've earned. And this is one of the only ways to do it. Yeah. And, and and actually, so talking about games, games take up a lot of space, typically. Uh, this is one of the things that I've discovered having kids who play a lot of these games. Um, some of these games take up multiple gigs. Your average game probably takes up close to a gig. I've seen a lot of games that I am surprised take up 800 megabytes of space on the device. Um, and so if you have a device that doesn't have a ton of space, or if you just got a lot of games, you're definitely going to run into this problem. Now with the comic, uh, comic app, in that particular case, that's mostly the comics that he's got downloaded. They're taking right. up a lot of that space. So if he were to offload comiXology, um, it's, it, you're still going to have a lot of that space taken up. Uh, but something like a game where they have lots of graphics and audio files and all these other things that are actually part of the game that don't have anything to do with your saved progress in the game, when you offload those, you'll free up almost that entire amount of space, which is a really great way to save space on your device. Yeah, and it's also a way to not buy the more expensive iOS device with the extra storage. If you've got good internet and you can easily re-download apps and games, 
rather than get the 256 gig for whatever more it costs, you get the 128. Right. Well, that's the thing. You make a good point here. You do have to have a good internet connection or at least not have a capped data connection or something like that if you want to be able to re-download these apps later. If you're the kind of person who, for example, you go through phases, maybe uh, this month I'm going to be really into this new game and I might get bored of it and maybe I'll go back to that other game. If you're kind of, if you tend to run low on space, this is, uh, app offloading is a great way for you to, uh, you know, be able to kind of go back and forth and and go through your phases of, okay, well, I'm mostly into these two games so I can unlock, so I can offload the rest. And it would be particularly useful if you are an Apple Arcade subscriber, where you've got access to a whole bunch of games and you might want to download a number of them to try them out. You might quickly run out of space. And so you've tried one, you've done six levels, and you want to delete it to try another, but you don't want to lose your progress. Are are you an Apple Arcade user, Kirk? No, I'm not much (laughs) of a gamer. I did try it for the first month that was free, Yeah, but I'm just not... I'm. I do the New York Times crossword puzzle. I do Candy Crush Saga every now and then, but I'm not really a gamer. Um, so it's not yeah. worth it for me to spend that kind of money. But so there's another reason. And we were talking about uh, updates earlier. Another reason to offload apps is to have enough room on your iPhone or iPad to be able to install an update. Updates for even minor updates are a few hundred megabytes. Major updates are several gigabytes. And let's take an iPhone, for example. If you have a three gigabyte update, I'm guessing it probably needs 10 gigabytes altogether because it has to download the update. It has to decompress the update, which is in a compressed archive. And then it probably needs extra wiggle room to copy files around. You remember back in the day, it was a problem that some people couldn't update their iPhones because they didn't have enough storage. So with iOS 11, they added this possibility. And if you have an iPhone with like 32 gigs of storage, which was the minimum a couple years ago, and let's say you've got all the iWork apps, you know, pages and numbers and keynote, that's a gigabyte already. Um, Offloading those might allow you to have enough storage space free to apply an update. Yeah, this was a big problem um, also with iPads. You know, people tend to to get the cheaper model because they just don't think they need a lot of storage. But um, if you get a certain size model, then it also comes with more apps pre-installed. And now, of course, the baseline has been increased. But it used to be that I think if you bought a 16 gig device, if I'm remembering correctly, they would not pre-install the iWork apps for you. You had to get at least a 32 gig if you wanted those apps pre-installed because Apple knew that they took up a lot of space. Yeah. And and also there's other apps, there's GarageBand and there's iMovie, um, and all of that takes up space. So another reason to free up space is if you shoot a lot of video on an iPhone, or dare I say an iPad, as, as much as um, <laughs> some people have contempt for people who use an iPad to take photos and videos, it can be practical. Um, so I have an article on the Intego Max Security blog about how to shoot video with an iPhone, because I think a lot of people don't know all the options of shooting video. We won't go into detail, but let me just walk you through some of the most interesting things to know. The first is that shooting video on an iPhone with the normal camera, okay? So uh, a lot of iPhones today have two cameras or two lenses, depends on how you want to look at them. Um, Some of them even have three cameras. If you're on the normal camera, um, all new iPhones have optical image stabilization. What that means is as you move around, it's not going to look jumpy. Video shot on an iPhone can look really good these days. 
now, if you have multiple cameras, you can zoom in or zoom out. Of course, the problem with that is when you go to the ultra-wide lens, it doesn't have image stabilization, so you need to be careful. But um, I explain how to zoom uh, either switching between cameras or uh, doing a kind of pinch zoom to get a more precise zoom. You can use the change of cameras or lenses to zoom. So, for instance, on my iPhone 11, I can go to 1x, I can go to the ultra-wide at 0.5x, and I can use a digital zoom up to 3x. On the iPhone 11 Pro, you can get up to 10x, and that's a huge zoom. Do you shoot a lot of videos, Josh? I don't tend to shoot a lot of videos, but occasionally I do. And when I when I shoot videos, I definitely use uh, the rear camera on my phone. Um, it, it's it, There's a really great camera built into every iPhone, and uh, I, I don't see why not use it anymore. Um, at one point in time, gosh, I remember when we used to carry around a lug around a big old camcorder or something with us when we would go on vacation. And now you get this high quality video device in your pocket. So, um, yeah, particularly when traveling, which we haven't been able to do too much of recently, but when traveling, uh, because it's so small and such a good quality camera, um, you definitely want to shoot video with the iPhone. It makes so much sense. And quality-wise, so on my iPhone, I can shoot at 720p, 1080p, or 4K. Um, mm-hmm. I can shoot at 30 frames per second or 60 frames per second. But, of course, there's a trade-off, and I have a screenshot showing the settings. And on that settings window, it's a good thing that Apple shows this. They say a minute of video will be approximately 60 megabytes with 720p HD at 30 frames per second. And then it goes up to the different uh, combinations of frame rate and resolution up to 400 megabytes with 4K at 60 frames per second. So think about 400 megabytes. So that's a gigabyte in two and a half minutes. Um, If you want to shoot a long video, you're going to eat through your space really quickly. So you want to offload all those games. Another thing that's really cool on the iPhone is that there's this little slider that you slide from photo to video, and you can also slide it to slow-mo. And you can shoot some really cool slow-motion videos. You can choose either 120 or 240 frames per second. The only thing I've tried that on is my cats. You know how cats lick themselves (laughs) to clean them? That looks really Uh funny when it's 240 frames per second, which is what it means is you're seeing at one-eighth speed. So it's playing back at 30 it's recorded at 240. Yeah, I, I think this is all really interesting. And, and it is a very important point that you do need to be aware of how much space these uh, higher resolution and higher frame rate videos really take. What I find so strange is that you have to change these settings in the settings app. There's nothing yeah. right in the camera app where you can just say, okay, now I want to shoot 4K. Now I want to shoot 1080 because I don't need 4K anymore. Why not just have that built into the app, Apple? Come on. Well, it doesn't seem hard. So if you want that kind of control, there are lots of third-party video apps, but the most impressive one is Filmic Pro. Now, you may remember if you watched um, last year's presentation of iOS 13, they showed Filmic Pro filming both with the front camera and the rear camera at the same time. Um, Unfortunately, that feature is not yet available in the app. Still? Yeah, really? it's still not available. But Filmic Pro lets you change all those settings from the app. You can adjust white balance. You can adjust exposure. You can do the kind of things mm. that you would do with a, a professional camera. Um, you stick it on a tripod or a gimbal, and you can shoot a feature film if you want with something like that. 
Yeah, in fact, I I think they actually have uh, some some people have shot movies yeah. or documentaries or things on completely on an iPhone. Yeah, and and one other thing that's just cool sometimes is that you can do time lapse. I put a little time lapse video in the article that I shot um, behind my house of trees and clouds. You've got to put your iPhone on a tripod, otherwise it's going to move around. But you can see the clouds and the wind and the trees, and it's fun. The only problem is um, you can't control anything about the way time lapse is shot. The longer you record, the fewer frames you get per minute. So basically, the iPhone records a time lapse video to be a duration of about 20 to 40 seconds. And the longer it's on, the more it deletes because it doesn't want to use up all the storage. Um, so you can't say, I want a time-lapse video that's going to go over six hours and it's going to play back over three minutes. You'll get 40 seconds at most. But it's fun. If you've got a tripod and a, a, a device to hold on to your iPhone, you can watch flowers grow, clouds go by, or things like that. No, that's fun. You might not really see too much on the flowers growing. <laughs> well, it depends. If you leave it out overnight, um, actually, there, there are flowers. At least blooming. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are flowers that turn toward the sun during the day. Um, uh-huh. And if you yeah, catch yeah. them, that would be interesting. Anyway. That would um, be cool. Links in the show notes, uh, videos, um, saving space on your iOS device. And that's enough for this week. We'll be back next week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>